0: I'm Joe Cruz and I'm joined by my friend and my partner for this evening, Edgar Burgos, you can follow him on Twitter and Instagram, my eberg one Edgar, how you doing this evening, my brother? Thanks for joining me today.
1: Um, I love your open. I like it. Well, <laughs> I, I, I never saw it before. It's the first time I actually saw you
0: open. Oh, I, I appreciate that. I appreciate it. We, we, we've been working behind the scenes. And before we get into that, I just want to let everybody know watching, you can download this podcast on SoundCloud, YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Click subscribe, click the download button, add any comments if you want. We appreciate that. Um, also Edgar Burgos and Bobby Sierra on tomorrow on the Cruise Control Podcast Network in conjunction with Heart to Guard Media. Uh their new show is called Step in the Arena at ten o'clock to tomorrow
1: night. Ega. wanna shed some light on your new show? Nah, you know, tomorrow I think it's show five or six, something like that, you know, but every week, um, You know we talk nba we talk basketball we talk a little bit you know outside of the nba what some Mm -hmm. of the guys are doing um we got a nice special guest tomorrow i won't say who he is because he has to confirm with me tomorrow morning but uh you know every week you know so far you know we've had some great guests you know baron davis jerome Williams, roger mason you know frank jared you know uh, jack greenberg um so looking forward to tomorrow you know bobby sees the guy
0: <laughs> shouts to Bobby C, shouts to Randy Cruz on the production as always, and uh shouts to my partner Brian Gardenhire, who couldn't make it? it's his birthday, so we're happy we'll do this. Hi birthday, brother. The show is for you. Uh so yeah, man, we mentioned we have a special guest coming on. Uh we uh have our friend, uh long time compadre Dorian Graham. We want to welcome Dorian Graham to the Commissioner Corner podcast.
1: What's up, my brother? How are you? Yo, crew producer extraordinaire
0: that's what uh, you got yeah. to ask producer extraordinaire my friend and my comrade yeah, yeah,
2: Graham.
1: Yeah, yeah. producers
2: yeah. i should be called producers <laughs> nah, I, I ain't worried about the producer i'd rather be i'm, I'm happy with the friend I'm, I'm happy to be associated with you guys as friends what's happening
0: hey man well listen we we appreciate you coming on we've been at this a long time brother i know we off. We, you know we we're talking off cue me and you nigga about just uh, our our history and pops and all that stuff, man. We want to jump into uh, a conversation that we know so well with uh, our background, New York City basketball. Uh, you have so much history. You've done documentaries. You've done you know you've been around the best of the best. Uh, Edgar can attest to that. Uh, just want to get your feedback or your your insight or some jewels or maybe on about street ball back in the days and and, and how what made it what it was during that time period.
2: Oh man, it's 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 man it's 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 close to my heart, man. You know, um being a producer, you know, I've been producing television since, you know, and I'm going to give my age. I've been producing television since 93 uh HBO Sports and right, you know right. obviously growing up in New York, I've been playing streetball, you know, since I was a kid, you know, because most of us that played during that that time period, we started at Biddies. You know, Mm, we went to biddies, you know, then we went to to midgets then juniors, seniors and all, you know, all along the line. So I started, you know, at biddies at at Riverside Church. OK, you know, we used to play no super biddies. We used to play halftime of the biddy game. Mm. So we only get like 10 minutes to play (laughs) a full game and we would be winning games like seven to two and stuff like that. But, you know. That's that's where it really started at, and then you know, get older, you play more and more. You know, I grew up. You know, I was born in Harlem, nice. raised in the Bronx, uh, grew up right actually up the street from where hip hop started. I grew up in University Projects, uh, right up the street from where Cool Herc and them used to. Uh, mm-hmm. That 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 area to us was called Undercliff, where they used to where they started doing hip hop. Mm-hmm. So. You know, in the projects, we used to play full courts on the garbage cans because, you know, the bigger dudes was playing on the court. So we couldn't get to the courts. We only had one full court. So we had to go play in the garbage cans, full court mm. in the park. And, you know, that that's where the, the love for the game uh, really came, you know, in between playing, you know, as a kid, as we grew up, you know, you was you played baseball, you played. uh Punch ball, you play handball, you play, you play football, stick ball, football, stick ball, flag football. Yeah. You know, when it when it snow, you playing tackle football. Like we, we played everything, but you know, it was something about basketball that I gravitated to more. And uh my aunt, God bless her, she just passed uh uh last earlier this year, she was the one that really got me into basketball. She had me watching ABA games and the New York Nets. And, you know, this dude with the Afro number 32 named Dr. J was like the most incredible thing I've I've ever seen. I was like, yo, who is this dude? And why is he flying? Like, that's amazing. (laughs) What is he doing? And, you know, then Dr. J used to do these clinics in the summer. And then I learned he was from New York. He was from Long Island. I was like, oh, wow, he's from New York. So, you know, I identify with him even more like, you know, that's something I can possibly do. Like somebody from New York did it, whatever the case may be, you know, grow up loving the game. Don't play in high school till my senior year. I went to Walton High School. Uh, you know, it was uh my senior year was me, Marianne Cash, who went to Clemson, uh, mm. John, John Morton, uh, who went to Seton Hall and then played in the league. Um, Jeff Petway. Uh who else did we have? We 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 put this way, we lost in the city finals to Mary Bertram. They had they had uh Kevin Williams and I believe the other cat name was Mike Mike Porter. Uh we lost to them at St. John's uh to go to the state championship. Uh and that was my only year playing, wasn't really highly recruited uh because I only played one year and I was I was raw, like, you know, I wasn't a scorer, but I could jump, you know, but they didn't, nobody knew what to do with me. And then I remember going to a tryout. They used to have this thing called AFB, which was athletes for better education, where guys that didn't get drafted, get recruited, get get seen by college coaches. And I go there and I'm playing against all these guys and I get a fast break and go to dunk it and dunk it. But I, my body went further and I fell off the rim and boom, broke my wrist. And this is like the second play of the game. And I was out like, I was like, damn, they go. My chances of getting recruited, whatever the case may be, whatever. I don't care. I got a couple of letters from a couple of D three schools. I was like, ah, eh, whatever. I don't really care. My cousin went to Norfolk state university, which is a, a traditional black college, HBCU. She didn't nice. want to go by herself, and we were real close, so I went with her. Um, then I got to uh, a walk on at, at Norfolk State. I made it to the last cut. Uh, you know, talked to the coach about playing, and him Good telling me, Well, our team is real young. Uh, next year, you'll probably be on the team, but you probably won't get a lot of playing time. And, you know, for a couple of years, because the position you played, the guy ahead of you was like, all American and he's only a year older than you. I'm like, okay, I need to get out of here because I want to play, play. Yeah. Went back and called a couple of the schools and, and ended up going uh to Lehman, Lehman College. Uh and and obviously, you know, that that's playing in the CUNY's is where I, I met your dad. Yeah. And, and um, you know, it was, you know, at that point I'm like, you know, it, the aspirations of playing professional are gone, you know, it's Lehman College, whatever, but I'm still playing, I'm happy, I'm playing ball. Then 1986 comes. In 1986, in the summer, you know, I play in summer leagues or whatever, but I go to 139th Street. There's this game that I'm hearing about that's happening because obviously there's no pagers or anything, 86. Word of mouth, somebody told me there's a basketball game. <laughs> and we go, me and my boys get on the two train from 238th yeah. <laughs> Street down to 139th Street, 135th, and walk to 139th Street. And it's cars triple parked outside this park. And I've played in this park before, boys, of yesteryear. But I'm like, I don't understand what the heck is going on. Why is there triple yeah. parked cars outside for a basketball game? And then I get to the park, and yo, again at this point I had never seen this. There's like three thousand people in a park, Mm. and so we're all coming to watch a basketball. I'm like, why is this? This is bugging me out. So me and my boys, we get get a good seat, sit under the basket. There's a celebrity game where Sal from the Disco Fever is playing. And and a couple of guys, and then a dude that I went to high school with named Anthony Finley's playing on the disco fever team. So now I'm like, okay, Anthony, he was good, but I'm just as good as him. Why can't I be playing on this? I don't What the hell is going on? That game ends, it's a dunk contest. I'm like, yo, I'm gonna get in the dunk contest. My boys are like, bet, yo, go ahead. Da da da. da. Get in the dunk contest. It's me, Chris Brooks, God bless, who just passed. Uh Derek Gardner, the tw- twins' brother who passed, uh Predator, mm. uh <clears throat> Troy Truesdale, God bless. Uh, and little Rudy from Harlem, who ended up winning the dunk contest. And Dominique Wilkins was the judge. He he came out to the park, he was promoting his new sneaker from Brooks. Mm. And he came and you know, I froze up. I, Tried to do a dunk in this, and everybody laughed. And I was like, oh, this is terrible. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Go sit down. Dunk contest ends. Now it's a layup line for an all-star game, which is what I came for. And we're looking at these dudes, me and my boys, like, yo, these dudes is nice. And then there's this one dude. I saw him, and I had never saw this dunk before, go around his back and through his leg and dunked it. And I was like, "Oh my God, who is that?" You no, know, I don't. Again, I don't know what street ball really is, like, in terms of unlimited level game starts, and there's a dude on the mic, and he's talking about these guys and all these names, and I'm like, "Where's that dude that dunked? Who's that?" So he's playing. He's like, "Oh, oh, Mr. Excitement." I was like, "Mr. Excitement, what's the nigga's real name?" <laughs> uh, what what does that mean? Like Mr. The Terminator Rambo. I'm like, yo, what are These, these are, can't be their real names. Like, that's my first experience. So Mr. Excitement ends up being Daryl Mack,
0: mm-hmm.
2: who a lot of people don't know because Daryl Mack in the late 80s, early 90s was the <clears throat> dude in streetball. He left with the Texas AM, then he went to Australia, and he'd been in Australia ever since playing professionally d-mac was one of the best streetball players i've ever seen in my life like he's a six three six four point guard with hops handles you can find him on you know on youtube Down mcdonald in australia you'll see some stuff that'll that'll blow your mind and that was mm-hmm. and that wasn't just d-mac that played in streetball that was you know because you got to tone it down when you're playing you know organized ball compared to when you're playing streetball in, in the tournaments so that's my first experience and that was the ebc at 139th mm. street that was like their third year um and then they moved to 155th street um and now i'm like yo i want to play in this joint but i don't know how to get down on a team 88 i'm going out there i'm so thirsty let me tell you how thirsty 88 so i just finished my junior year at, at lehman I used to go out there earlier before the game start and play pickup, hoping that somebody would see me and be like, yo, you want to play with my team? Like, just trying to think of something, because I didn't know nobody in that space. Mm-hmm. Uh, or Saturdays, we would play up at, at Lehman College, and the twins, Derek and Dexter, say, yo, Dorian, you want to play with us at, at Rucker? I was like, in the, that tournament? I said, like, yeah, bet, bet. Yo, come down on Monday. We got we've got a team, we'll get you a spot, whatever, whatever. Yeah. Bet. So I go down, yo. I'm gonna play at Rucker Park. Like, I'ma get this chance. Go down there, they ain't got the juice that they claim they had. So I couldn't get on the team. I'm pissed now. Get ready to leave the park, go get something to eat. My cousin walks in. He lives uh uh in uh Martin Luther King Towers, where the King Towers tournament used to be. And He's like, yo, what are you doing here? I came to you know, play, but dude didn't have no juice or whatever. He said, yo, I'm getting ready to play now. Let me talk to my dude. Put you down. Talk to his dude. His dude, they co-signed for me. And he puts me on the team. So I ended up in 88. was my first year playing at Rucker. And I, I got to tell you, it was the most nervous I've ever been playing basketball in my life. Like I... It was an experience like no other, like on top of the people being right. There's no baseline. People are standing. This wasn't bleachers. This bleachers on two sides but under the basket. People were standing from the gate all Mm -hmm. the way to to the baseline. And you can hear everything and they pretty much can touch you when you run by whatever. Nervous as heck, Uh, but started, you know, made sure I didn't, I couldn't do stuff. I didn't do stuff that I wasn't really good at. So I would block shots, you know, I would get some dunks. I would rebound, whatever, run the court really well. So, you know, didn't get a name to like the third game. Uh, you know, the, you know, when they, when they gave out names it would go by your attributes of your physical features or the way you played the game. And I ended up becoming being called the Black Stallion because I ran the court so well, me, I was like,
0: "Me and Nega had a little conversation before you got on to figure out what the nickname was." So we were like, <laughs> "We were almost there," so we had one part of it, but uh, but uh, I mean, I wanna I wanna get Nega. Yeah, I know you wanna jump in and say something. No, sorry. no, I was gonna
1: say, you know, I know, um, you know, I know. You said in '93, um, you started your first main job at uh, HBO Sports uh-huh um, when did you know like during that time because you're playing basketball you falling in love with basketball obviously you have this love for basketball that you knew that that you wanted to work in sports okay so that actually happened in college in college i was
2: a, a computer science major uh, when i first went to college and i had a sociology teacher named professor duffy in my freshman year second second semester who told me you're better off doing something that you love than something for the money, because what you what you do, when you love the money, you'll come. Mm. And that day I changed my major from uh, computer science to communication. Because I figured out communications, basketball, television, I could work you know, on the cameras or something behind the scenes. I'll still be affiliated with basketball school because my pro aspirations are gone. Computer science was kicking my butt. I changed it to the communications and got a degree in mass communications.
1: So you continue to play, and then during that time, um, I'm going to fast forward to late late 90s, and we meet at 450 Harmon Meadow. So I just want to know, how did you get start working at the league? And you know, sorry, how did you transition from HBO to the league during that time? So after, you know, at HBO, you
2: know, I kind of hit a ceiling after like three and a half years. Um, and they weren't promoting me. And I had a fallout actually with my uh my mentor who actually hired me at the time. Uh you know, just just when we were talking off off camera about productions and people yelling and screaming and being tough and rude at at one another during productions that happened between us and i kind Mm. of you know i called her out on it it was a woman and i was like oh like one you're blaming me for something i had nothing to do with and two you were screaming at me in front of other people like i don't i don't understand why you had felt the need to do that that didn't help the cause You didn't get your answers that you wanted. You didn't get the the things that you wanted. And it it was hurtful to me. Um, So I left HBO. I ended up being a writer. This was when the Internet was starting to take off. There was a a show on HBO, a documentary on the goat, Earl Manigault, that uh, Don Cheadle played Earl Manigault. And somehow I got connected. I think my boy who was a, a producer in the, in the promotions department connected me with them. They were, they wanted to do an online story on the Earl Manigault show that was coming on combined with Street Ball, with what, which they knew I played. Um, so I ended up being a writer on the website to talk about the Earl Manigault story and the, the true Earl Manigault. Um, then from there, there's a young lady who, One of my two two of my boys that I used to come to my college to play ball bought me. They worked at the at the league at the time at the NBA while I was working at HBO. They brought me to the league office one day, the one in Manhattan before Harmon Meadow even opened and introduced me around to a couple of people. And they bring me in this office to meet this lady. Uh, And I'm looking, you know, see the lady's name and I'm looking at her like, wow, that lady looks familiar. I know her. I think I know her. And they say, yo, this is Dorian, Dorian, this is Leah. I was like, Leah, Leah Wilcox? She was like, and I, I got to say, it cause she always teases me, but she's the only one that really knows. She's like, Timmy? And I was like, yo, like, so Leah, <laughs> Leah and I grew up together. Leah lived where hip hop started at with Kool Herc in the same building Up this up the block from me, and her best friend used to babysit me and my little sisters. So, I got connected with Leah there, and you know, always kept in touch. We did stuff together, whatever, whatever. That's how I got my MBA connection at at, at that point. And then my boy Chris Perkins—I don't know if you remember Chris. Chris was my man at HBO Sports he was at HBO promotions and he left HBO and he got the job at the NBA first. And he, between those two, I got plugged into
1: the NBA when I left HBO. Yeah. Shout out to Leah. Um, whatever of the best people, people best people ever. <clears throat> Absolutely.
2: Um, Absolutely. The league owes her stocks. They owe her everything. Like she kept, she they created, her, so you know, they created her position, which was yeah. vice president of player and talent relations, because without her, they didn't have any connections to the players. Yeah. You know, what I'm she made it. She made it possible. And it grew. And obviously the NBA is a billion
1: dollar <laughs> business right now, but she's responsible. So during that time when you started writing, um, you know, you, you're doing this man and gold story. Um, you know, you're, you're helping with it, working at the league. When did you start to say to yourself, like, hmm, I think I, you know, and you started seeing obviously the history of Rucker Park, with the parts and you see all these people. When did you start saying to yourself, you know what, let me start documenting some of these things so I can tell my own personal story? So, what happened there, before I even wanted to document
2: it myself, I actually, 90, Sorry, the first year I started working on HBO, I I would pull Greg, God bless him, aside and be like, yo, Greg, so let me give hip you up on something. You need to videotape all of these games because what, what you got here is gold. Like, I don't know if you even understand it. Like, you need to videotape them. You can sell the tapes to people so they can have copies because people would want to see them again. But not only that you should be able to create a footage library because what happens in productions and i'm going from somebody that's worked on documentaries and won an emmy we go research footage and when we do foot when we do stories on certain subjects we find the footage and people get paid for using their footage so you if you have <clears throat> footage from rucker park all these games that play all these amazing players you can make money while you're sleeping he didn't mm. see it at that time it took greg a while to actually see he actually didn't really get into it until 2019. uh 28, whenever 28. Sean whenever he combined with Sean Bryant yeah
1: mm. whenever he
2: combined with Sean Bryant is when he really started getting it by then the golden era he didn't have footage now it's the hood there's tapes all over Harlem <laughs> and the Bronx of different games from 55th in the early nineties mm. and 80, even eight up to eight at back as far as 89 and the 86 all-star game. So there's footage, certain pieces here and there that, you know, no, if you own the tape, you own the rights to that footage because it was public domain. Like you're out in a public form. So, anybody that shot that footage owns that tape and and greg didn't start getting footage until late 90s early 2000s when he started to really create his library but again to me that was after the golden age like it became more popular let's let's i'm not gonna front like rucker park and and ebc became a phenom after the late 90s early 2000s it became huge but The golden era was that time in between in between Joe Hammond and Skip when we were the ones making three thousand people come to the park with no NBA players Mm. every day in the summer, four days a week.
0: So, Dorian, real quick, what was that like? What's the difference between the street ball now that we have? I guess, more in the modern era compared to that gem right there What you said about you guys used to bring 3,000 people without an NBA player. Talk about what that – what's the major difference? I know there's a lot of street involvement in terms of, like, street um, – I would say, like, street blocks and hoods that yeah. really want to protect their players, and then they kind of invest in that way. But mm-hmm. I know we're missing that. But, I mean, I mean besides that, any gems you could shed on, like, in terms of what – that era um, presented
2: compared to now. So, uh, and I'll give you this analogy. So, in Negro League Baseball, right, um, Negro League Baseball was ran by number runners. Number runners owned all the teams in Negro League Baseball. When Major League Baseball scouts started seeing all this talent in the negro leagues and these phenomenal players and the things that they were doing compared to what they saw every day in the major leagues they decided yo we got to figure out how to start getting black players into the league these players are phenomenal so the the success of the negro leagues was actually the downfall of it as well because now you when the, when major league baseball takes Jackie Robinson, who wasn't even the best Negro league player at the time and, and integrates baseball, they start to pull all the players and all, or now all the players want to get to the big leagues. And now the Negro leagues falls off right. and that dies like the Negro leagues street ball was funded by street dudes. Mostly most of the teams were funded by street dudes we were paid to play (laughs) on teams by hustlers they paid us that's what it was they wanted the best team they paid players to be on their team in doing so i'm sure a lot of times what happens is they got they got bets against other hustlers to make up for the money that they might be paying out to the players or whatever the case may be but they played us and i didn't realize how popular it was until one day I was on the train coming home and um, this guy, I'm getting ready to get up the train. This dude said, yo, Graham, what's happening? And then I'm looking at him, I'm like, yo, I don't even know who this dude is. But he called me Graham. And the only way you can know my name is Graham is if you see me play at Rucker Park because nobody, nobody knows my name is Graham. They know me as Black Graham or Black Stallion. He was like, "Yo, you made me a lot of money last summer." And I'm like, "What do you what do you mean I made you a lot of money?" He said, "Yo. <laughs> he said, "In the in the stands, we bet how many mm-hmm. blocks or dunks you're going to get in the game. And you made me a lot of money last summer." And I was like, "Word?" Like, "Wow." Like, yeah. so not only is the 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 streets hustlers paying us, but the people in the stands is hustling and and betting like it was just something that was un—I couldn't even explain it. If I didn't live it, and somebody told this to me, I wouldn't believe that it actually happened that way.
0: It—it sounded like Fanduel, <laughs> yeah,
1: like the early Fanduel, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just like so, Fanduel,
0: you know. And uh, shouts to uh, everybody tuning in. Eric Weaver said facts. Um, E. I'm, I'm, e. Weaver, E. Weaver's the family. Uh, Brian Gardinhi, our co-host, is a uh, birthday. He's, he's um,
1: happy birthday
0: happy birthday. My brother, uh, he tuned in. He said, Dorian's a great person. Eric Weaver, uh, Eric Weaver is also a legend too. Uh, Brian Goddard, said a said amazing story. So, uh, Dorian staying with the street board topic. I know, I know egg is more in like getting the looping in with the production. Um, so with the, I evidently following the story, the, the hustlers made an early attempt to put into an investment to the hood to kind of have basketball be their own arena. Mm-hmm. Now that we sort of see like the social media impact and we kind of see like the time changing from the old hustling to the new hustling did Your example of the Negro League is that example of why streetball in the modern era changed, or was it just a talent? Or those 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 um, those godfathers of basketball kind of faded out and left so, it to
2: a point where In limbo. So it, it was it's a combination. So we definitely faded out um but i think what happened also was it seemed like the next generation felt entitled to stuff you know like and you know when i played in and and hoops in the sum that was one of eight leagues that i played in the summer you what i'm saying like right i'm gonna make all the games that i can make like i don't care i got eight leagues it's three months in the summer. I'm going to make as many games as I can make. So, and everybody that was quote unquote, one of the top players did that you played in six, seven, eight weeks. Right. And, and it wasn't about money because you didn't get paid in every league. You know, it was about because you love the game of basketball
1: mm-hmm.
2: and you love competing and you love winning and, and, and things like that. So, I think what happened was the entitlement that this generation feels, they don't have the love that we mm. had for the game. You know what I'm saying? Like, they wouldn't play it, you know, they, don't, they didn't play pickup like we played it. They didn't play 21, <coughs> 12 dudes on the court at one time. Right. You know what I'm saying? That's, they didn't have that type of love for the game. You know, everybody has, and again, it's evolution. People. Uh, we have trainers people jump higher people shoot better but the love is is what what separated us from today's generation to me
0: what was the toughest park you played at um and the toughest if you do remember a game at any particular park that stood out for you as either the, the best game you had or get best game you played in can you shed those uh gems to us if you can
2: go back Man. to so it, it's it's hard to say the toughest park. Um, respectfully, respectfully, I'm
0: talking about you know that era and when you played in. No, 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 yeah, yeah. you know. So
2: yeah. obviously, you know, the the toughest park overall is mm-hmm. going to be Rucker I didn't because because it's it's bigger than just the actual game. Mm-hmm. It's you know the fans and 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 and. The the notoriety that you get mm-hmm. from Rutgers, you don't get yeah. it, playing in yeah. any other league at that time. Um, but that sure. didn't make it. I didn't make it the best league, though. Mm-hmm. You understand, mm-hmm. talent wise, because uh, I played in pro am. Okay, and you know what I'm saying. I played in Nike Pro City, and then mm-hmm. I played in the National Pro Am as well. The National Pro Am was was one of the tougher leagues because it was most of the guys that played overseas in some pros, Mark Jackson. Tony Campbell, when he used to play with the Knicks, they all used to play with mm. the Calvin's team. Yes, yes, Your yes. Then Anthony Mason, who you God bless, used to play with us. Mario Eli, like that's that's yeah. what the program used to be. So that the talent there was a lot, mm. a lot tougher than playing at 55th and things like that. Um, for sure, you know. But it, 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 I still playing, and I guess it's a New York thing playing outside was the thing that I loved most. Playing outside in the summer, the heat, whether it's West 4th Street, 55th, Hoops in the Sun, uh, Mm -hmm. Gun Hill, uh, Soul in the Hole, Tillery, uh, there's so many tournaments, Dykeman, you know, that the heat, the sun, the heat, the people, it was just a different experience. And I loved playing outside more than I loved playing inside when the summertime came. Um, And and I'll tell you a story. So, you know, I'm probably not one of the most well-known players during that time. You know, I played a long time. I'm older than a lot of guys ever thought I was at the time. But there's two situations that made me realize that I was accepted and I was up the upper echelon of players. Right. Uh, You know, every year at 55th, at the end of the season, there was a coach. From another team that tried to get me on their team, they would come to me and be like, Yo, what I gotta pay you to come play for me? <laughs> you know, and I'm a loyal dude. So it was like, Yo, I, I, I love to come play for you, but I'm gonna stay with people that put me on because they don't wanna put me on. If they leave, we can revisit this conversation, but I'm not gonna leave the people that put me on at the beginning. That's, that's just my loyalty.
0: DG, real quick, some I'm nosy. Like what what was the what was the price range back in those days, man? It get get a kind of guy you on the floor.
2: Uh, it, well, it, it, well, goes, I never cuz I never had the comment. they asked me how much would it be. Okay, I okay. never I never came up with a price. So, I was like, "Nah, I I don't."
0: But you must have been around some numbers that you um that you kind of kind of heard from the grave vibe like damn, oh, no, no, I, that I've kind heard. of brand.
2: No, I've heard I heard I give you a, my man, we all know uh the dancing Doogie, who's a little older than me. And he told me one story that um, this cat named Tookie, who was a hustler at the time,
1: yeah.
2: ran up on Doogee before the summer started. Like, yo, I want you to play with me. What's it going to take for you to play with me? Mm-hmm. Doogee was like, Dude said he told me, he said, yo, I just came up with a number because I didn't think he would go get it and he'd just leave me alone. He said, yo, like $5,000, right? Dude said, "All right, all right." Dude said. Like, <laughs> Thirty minutes later, dude came back with a paper bag and said, "Here, I'll see you on Monday. We play at seven o'clock." Wow, wow. <laughs> so, and, and, and I get and it. That, so they they was paying. They were paying. Gotcha, I, again, I, I didn't I didn't get the, the paying part like that because I just was, you know, I stayed with my family because that's who yeah. put me up. It wasn't. Like that for me. But what, what happened though is in the fall, I got a call from one of the dudes that was trying to cr- recruit me, kid Ed yeah. Rice.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: He had a team called Any Way You Want It. And he wanted me to play in this championship game at the YMCA in Soundview.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: We were playing against the Mount Vernon team Gus Williams, Ray Williams, uh, Rodney McCray, uh, Rasul. Rasul had just graduated from high school. So he was like the I I want to say he was the player of of the state, you know, because Mount Vernon had won the championship that year and everything. So Ed Rice calls me to come play. I'm like, all right, bet, I'll come play. You know, anybody want me to come play, I'm gonna come play. So I go, we outside waiting, me, black mo, whatever, whatever. Terminator shows up. I was like, oh shit, turn, what's happening? He was like, yo, what you doing here? Now I'm confused. I mean, like, I'm like, what do you mean what I'm doing? Ed Rice called me. He said, no, I thought you'd be overseas playing somewhere. I was like, nah, term. I, I, I got a job as a producer. I'm good. Like, you know, he's like, yo, give me your number. I was like, all right. I was like, what happened? He said, yo, I needed you the other day. We played against the vets, the old school dudes who were, you know, our old school dudes for money. Mm -hmm. and we lost and we had to give up our sneakers and leave barefooted if I had you we would have won so right there to me that was like oh shit like Terminator not only knows who I am he wants me to play with him and Terminator to me at that time was the top player everybody knows Terminator is Terminator Terminator is going to score 45 points Nobody's going to stop him. He's the most respected player in all of streetball. And I was like, yo, he wants me to play with him. Damn, I guess I'm one of those players. I guess I'm in that group now. I made it. Right? I made it. And and that was, you know, you couldn't tell me nothing for a dude that didn't shoot the ball a lot. But played, uh, uh, did something on the court that most people didn't do. Because it was more than just blocking shots for me. It was actually, my defense was, allowed me to block the shots and, and contest shots of anybody because I can guard anybody from a one to a five. And and I realized that early on. And even in Hoops in the Sun, I don't know if it was the first or your second season when we played, when I played with. Uh, Char- uh,
0: GCD. GCD.
2: Exactly. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And Ruben was a coach. It was yes. me, Charnell Scott. God bless yes. Strick, yes. Uh, Amal uh, McCaskill, who was in the league.
0: Yes, sir. Uh, Tyrone Grant. Smush, Smush uh, Parker.
2: Smush. We, had a uh, we had a St. John's dude. Reggie and, Freeman. I, Reggie Freeman. Right. So all these dudes, and again, this is, uh, again, shows, I guess, how integral I was. It's a close game down to the wire. I got all these dudes in the championship, but I'm in the game. Right, mm-hmm. it's a tie game. I get fouled. I hit a free throw. I missed one, hit one. We up one. Now it's defense, and they're going to this their main guy, and they put me. They said you guard him, like you guard the main guy who's going to get the ball. It was the kid Larry, the left-handed kid. Uh, he actually went to Lehman after me, okay, uh, and Man. he was he was killing. Larry had was been it, killing. That was it Larry Jones? Yes, Larry Jones. Larry my block, Jones. my block, yes. yes, Larry Jones. He and he'd been killing cats, and he went to yeah. Leaning after me. So I was, yes, I already had a little chip on my shoulder because you know, I'm Lehman, like you ain't leaning. <laughs> you came after me. But everybody talking about Larry, Larry, Larry. So,
0: yeah,
2: you know, uh, my thing was, Larry is about an inch shorter than me, and, and this was my defensive mentality on anybody anybody that's shorter than me. I don't have to jump before you to block your shot. So, you'll never be able to fake me out. One, two, Larry was left-handed and he couldn't go right, and I knew that. So, I made him go to his right the last play, and he can't shoot with his right. So, he shot to his left, which I'm on his left hand because I'm on his side. I blocked the shot, we won the game. So, but that was my MO, you know, defensively in in playing basketball. And 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 I gotta give you one more story. The, the other person that made me realize, and this was after the fact, this is, career is over. We got a, a, a Facebook page where we New York City basketball players, and I'm probably the least known in there. It's dudes that was all city, all state. They did this, they did that, and the dude that was my nemesis during his during the time, Charles Jones. They asked Charles Jones, mm-hmm. "Who's your toughest defender?" that you played against. He said, two dudes. I forgot the other dude and he said, me. Mm -hmm. Now, that's a big respect. Like, I didn't realize Charles respected me that much on defense because to me, my mentality, Charles Jones was the leading scorer in the nation for two years. Mm -hmm. Charles Jones is probably seven, eight years younger than me. Like, I can never let him get off. I got to guard him and he respected me enough to consider me one of the top two players that he's ever played against defensively. And I've played against Charles Jones a whole lot. So those two people, having those two conversations made me realize, regardless of what anybody else may say about me, I was part of this this fraternity.
0: Well, that's well said. And I'm, I have one comment from the fans. I had, had a statement and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drop it to Edgar. So Dwayne Richardson says, best dunk I've ever seen. <laughs> was when Dorian Graham jumped over a defensive player trying to take a charge, completely jumped over his – no, completely jumped over him. Uh, that does test <laughs> to your hops, <laughs> you know, like the uh, – you know, and uh, Dwayne just, you know, dropped some knowledge and all. So, thanks to, to you know, to Dwayne yeah, on that drop. So, you want to add to that real quick, like, drop it, Edgar?
2: that's That's my – that's actually my best friend. Uh, he okay. Was at the, he was at the game. He was at Lehman. <laughs> we, were, we were playing against the College of Staten Island. We were down, you know, they, they were like the top team during my four years.
0: I'm a Lehman grad too, so I hate College Staten Island. You I, go. I, I know exactly how you're feeling right now. <laughs> exactly. So you say Lehman, I, I, I hate you. Go ahead, go,
2: <laughs> exactly. go. Exactly. <laughs> so they were up, it was like a minute and a half left. They were up like seven, eight points, whatever. They was holding the ball. And the guard of my team knocked the ball from behind. I got it. Usually I'll kick it up to the guard because I know he's going to give it back to me. And I'm going to dunk it. I keep it dribble up the court and I see this dude coming to take a charge because they were good at their defensive positions. Like they would take charges after turnovers and stuff like that. But this dude, I see him in the corner of my eye coming to take a charge. I don't really like he's one of the dudes I didn't like. His name was Gerald Nickerson. <laughs> I was like, yo, I'm going to kick him in his chest and take the charge. I don't care if I get a foul. I'm kicking him into the bleachers. Mm. So I pick my head up, and I jump to kick him. And I look up. First, I'm looking at him to kick him, and then I look up, and I'm eye level at the rim. And I'm like, oh my god. So I just dunked it and jumped over him. (laughs) (laughs) And I I, I actually got the videotape too. And the crowd went crazy, or whatever, whatever. And the ref called a blocking foul on him, and everything. I mean, uh, he lost the game. He yeah. did you job right there. He he competed that whole play for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I dunked it the and one. So that was the the best dunk probably I've ever done. Um, but he, it that yeah he that's the one he's
1: talking about for my junior year in college. thats I was going to say, before I jump into uh, Asphalt Phenoms, like one of the questions that Joe said, we uh, I'm going to break that back when you said about the love of the game. And, yes. and you're watching today, today's game, and you're saying, like, I, I just want to get your thoughts. Like, you know, you love preserving old, the old school and, and paying it knowledge. And obviously you started, you working at the league, with you, you and I both working at the league, you started to see a shift. Mm-hmm. NBA started concentrating more on summer league. They started promoting more. They started to make sure – athletes certain athletes so playing some of basketball when did you realize you know what something it's a it's a big shift happening and now they're focusing more on the younger kids when did you realize that uh i think when they when they stopped
2: uh when a lot of kids started leaving after high school and so, that really, like, obviously, Moses Malone did it and Spencer Haywood did it. But when Kevin Garnett did it, it started, like, people started following. So, the league got younger and younger, and and the shift started happening then. Like, a lot of young guys were getting to the league, but a lot of young guys that left early didn't stick in the league either. You know what I'm saying? Like, there, there was a kid – uh I forgot his kid's name. He was like a McDonald's All-American. Something young. I forgot his last name. Started with a K. Corleone Young or something like that. And he was like Mr. Basketball of of this country. And he couldn't make it in the league. Because, you know, that's a hard jump going from the NBA, from high school basketball to the NBA. When there was, we talk about grown men. We talk about Charles Oakley. We talk about Patrick Ewing, like we talk about real men at the time. And you you're 190 pounds and your skill set isn't because you had to be skillful. Like you had to have a skill set. You just couldn't, because you scored 30 a game in high school, it didn't necessarily translate to 10 a game in the NBA. Because the NBA was a lot rougher then as well. You understand what I'm saying? So that what happens now is one, the NBA game isn't as rough. So it's easily, it's easier if you have the, the, the actual uh, attributes, the skills and, and, and uh, the, you've worked out where you can get that opportunity. If you can shoot and nobody can touch you, it's a different game. Mm -hmm. You understand what I'm saying? Like I love Steph Curry, but if Steph Curry has to play against in the nineties, when people can hand check him, Steph Curry's not going to be able to get those shots as much because they're not going to be foul. So what is he going to do? You know what I'm saying? All the flopping right. that people do now, flopping yeah. wasn't, it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't work.
1: So what are your thoughts on, um, you know, this new thing on, uh, certain organizations trying to promote these high school kids into like semi-professionals? Um, you know, I have my thoughts. I think it's horrible, but, uh, I just want to get your your thoughts i feel like you know people are kind of pimping these kids nowadays you know more than ever so i yeah i saw that and i i felt two ways about it because you know and
2: and it's the it's the regular argument like if you worked at if you were a computer science or you was a geek and google came to get you out of high school there wouldn't be a question you understand what i'm saying um you would go if google came and offered you two hundred thousand dollars to work at google out of high school you're going to go do that you're not going to go to college you're going to go work at google now obviously the the lifespan of of an athlete is completely different because if you're going to google at 18 you can be at google at 55 still and the stocks you've gained and all that stuff whereas your life expectancy as an athlete is a lot shorter what what i what i think happened or what's going to happen in in that is yes they are definitely pimping the kids i think what a way that it can it can get resolved is if the ncaa steps up and starts paying kids because then they don't have the they don't feel the need to go and make some money you know for two hundred thousand playing in this other league before I got the chance, the opportunity to go play in the NBA. You understand right. what I'm saying? So it's yeah. all about dollars and cents. And, and if the NCAA stops being greedy, you know, the right. NCAA makes billions off of, off of college athletes. That's just, that's what it is. Like if you at a, at a top, Duke, Duke's basketball team pays for all of Duke's athletics because of what they do. So Duke's highlight team, Duke's football team, all that comes from the Duke basketball team money that they get. You understand what I'm saying? So pay the athletes. Like, don't forget the under-the-table stuff that happens because we all know it happens. I, I'm not even going to get to that conversation. Pay the athletes. Get them jobs. Allow them to make money, you know, like, like the sad Five. You, you're using their likeness. You're selling their jerseys with their names on it. But they're not compensated. being compensated for that. Sure, they're getting an education, but that the money you're making off of them far exceeds what what they're getting education wise to me, right?
0: Yeah, I got to know if you have any more to ask.
1: You're on mute, you're on mute. I said, I want to pivot to uh, now, you know, ask for phenoms ask for, yeah, and why did you know what made you get into that project and become, it became, you know, a passive passion project. And it's a great documentary.
2: Uh, first, thank you. Uh, I appreciate that. You know, uh, I, I didn't make it to, to make money.
0: We appreciate um, you, Dorian, you know, that, right? We appreciate nah, you.
2: Nah, Thank you. Thank you. I, I, I made that documentary. So when I moved to Los Angeles in 2003, I moved to Los Angeles from New York, you know, uh, a lot of my boys that I played with was mad. (laughs) Like, yo, you can't go. We still got like tournaments to win. I'm like, nah, man, New York ain't ain't got nothing here. You know, I got to go where, you know, my profession is allowing me more opportunities And L.A. was the place at the time. But even even before that, when I moved to L.A. in 2003, I was on the verge of signing a deal with a video game company to create the first streetball basketball game. Mm. I I wrote me and my partner who was just, oh yeah, my man, Dwayne, we used to play Atari and we used to play in television. And from the excitement that we used to see in me playing at Rucker, we used to act like commentators while we were playing the video game. It was like, yo, they need to create a streetball video game. And I came up with the concept, wrote it up and everything and was talking to this company, Acclaim Entertainment. The claim ah. was doing a lot of the video games back then.
0: yeah, yes and true.
2: and what happened was they were talking they were starting to talk about getting a lawyer, and they were talking about money. So it was really going to happen. I was like, oh shit, I'm about to create a video game. The first street War video game. this is it. I'm out. Go there. That deal falls through because the claim the people that were at a claim that wanted to do the deal they sold the claim and the new brass came in and they didn't want to have nothing to do with no street ball video game because they didn't see street ball being a big thing or anything so that killed me like I when I say I was the first one I was the first one that was gonna create a street ball video game but while I'm out there the and one tour is happening and they're going all over the country and, and you know they got the TV show on ESPN and obviously the 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 main five guys are from New York. Main event: Shane, the dribbling machine, half man, half amazing, headache, and who am I forgetting as the fifth one? Holy smokes, there was one more. But so I saw them in L.A. I came and watched them play at Venice Beach. They got me in or whatever. You know, I was telling them, yo, you know, y'all are are getting jerked. I I don't know how much money y'all getting, but y'all not getting enough. Because Air One is making millions of dollars off of y'all, not off of KG, not off of Latrell Sprewell, off of y'all. And I I told this the headache, and you could ask headache this conversation. Like, yo, y'all need to get together and start like some type of union and be on the same page and go get more money. Don't let them pay you in money and gear. That's 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 weak. Like they can give away as much gear as they want to. You don't need 70 pair of sneakers. Like, who cares about that? Get more money. Um, you know, they made whatever they made, they traveled, they did well, but they didn't make what they should have made. At the end of the year, at the end of the day, Air One sold for 260 million dollars. That's a lot of money that they didn't reap off for that. You understand? But in doing that, when I moved to LA and started playing basketball, pickup basketball out there, they, we would have conversations and they would talk about the N and one players and they'd be clowning them, calling them New York streetball players. And I was like, wait a minute. That's not New York street ball. What are y'all talking about? Yeah, you know, like hot sauce and you do this. And I was like, wait a minute. Time out. First of all, hot sauce ain't even from New York. Second of all, what you've seen them do is glorified to what new york street basketball actually is and i was like you know what i'm tired of having this conversation i'm going to do a documentary on new york city street ball and came up with the idea of doing Ask for phenoms because i had footage uh i know all the players i know who runs the leagues i know all the comments i know everybody I can do this documentary, I know how to edit, do it by myself and put it together and put it out there. I'm not doing it for money, I'm doing it just to get the story out there so people understand what New York City basketball really is outside of New York. Um, So I created it with with a dental floss budget, I did everything, and when I say everything I mean everything. From getting music to editing to distribution to whatever. I did everything out of my pocket. Um, And it was a hood success. And the reason why I say it was a hood success, because they started selling it on 125th Street. Bootleg copies. Dudes have bootleg copies of it. So in the hood, everybody loved it. It didn't make a lot. Again, I didn't do it to make money. And the people that have seen it and purchased it, everybody loves it. But, you know, again, I did it to help pay homage to the, to the time period that I played and to show people that the gap between Joe Hammond, like I said earlier, and Skip to my Lou, basketball didn't stop in New York. There were a mm-hmm. lot of guys that were great players that played all over the city that helped bridge that gap and give Skip to my Lou the platform to become Skip to my Lou. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dorian, so
0: in terms of Ash, well, I mean, as for Phenoms, where's it at? What's the current status and what should, uh, some of our fans is listening that's maybe not educated enough or know more about it, I should say, uh, you know, kind of help them along the way to how to, how to follow and your progress.
2: Oh, uh, I mean, I put it out in 2007. So it's on YouTube now. Uh, it's in the link in my bio on uh, Instagram, which is that they still got it uh but it's you know it's on youtube it's as phenoms of new york city the lost <laughs> years anybody can go watch it you know because at it got to a point where i didn't again i didn't care about the money i just right. wanted it to be out there i won you know i won an award at a festival in los angeles with it you know so it it, it got some accolades and, and yeah. i'm with it but you know you can go anybody can go watch it on youtube
0: Okay. yeah, yeah, I just want to make sure everybody's aware of that. And, 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 you know, as we have these stories, we want to really make sure that, uh, one, we, we help our fans and two, we bring back street ball. We bring back conversation that we want to revisit and also give you flowers while you're still here because you are an integral part of not only street basketball, but, but the fabric and the culture. So we appreciate you, but before we get into rapid fire session, just in terms of how we started this, this whole, um, conversation, um, where, where the game was, where you see the game at today and what do you foresee in terms of the shift and is unlimited basketball dead or not? And is there a way to, you know, kind of continue that conversation?
2: Um, I, I mean, I'm not going to say unlimited basketball is dead. It's definitely on a respirator as Kenny Smith said uh, in an interview I did with him. Um, I think, Again, like I said, the love of the game, but it's also it's very, very, very ego driven now. Like people don't, you know, teams don't really exist like they used to. Like I I know, I believe Sean Bell's All-Stars and I think Bingo, those are the only really teams I think left where they got the same players and they may add a new player there. But they're the only type of real teams that are left, you know. When, when, during our during our era, everybody couldn't play streetball. You know what I'm saying? Everybody yeah. was not good enough to play in all the leagues. You know, they might play in some other leagues because exactly. there were some of the leagues in New York. But everybody wasn't good enough to play in, in, in the streetball leagues. So now anybody can play. You know, anybody can get an opportunity. If you know somebody, you can play, whether you're good or not. And 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 again, that has to do with the 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 ego and the the people just not caring about winning and loving the game to me. And I think also the camaraderie that we used to have uh, out outshines the camaraderie that they have today. Right. And I'll I'll give you a, a prime example, something that most people don't know: the most famous Nike commercial, the freestyle commercial, all the New York basketball players. I casted them into that commercial,
0: mm-hmm.
2: Classic. But, people, but nobody knows that and I don't Classic. care that nobody knows that. But I had a relationship with the, with the guy that produced this guy named Jimmy Smith, who used to work for Wyden Kennedy, which was the agency that represented Nike
1: mm-hmm.
2: and everything New York basketball in 93, four and five and maybe six, he would come to me and ask me who the players were. Mm. Who he would, who he should get. So I casted, I casted uh, Malloy, I casted A Train, I I casted uh, Chris, who's from Philly. I I casted Speedy, and then we found then main event. We did have an audition, and main event sent the kid uh, Lewis Tricks. We found him in at 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 Boys Harbor at, at at an audition. We put him in it. So, right. <laughs> you know that, and any other Nike ads that were happening during that time, the, the Nike uh, All Cotton Club. I don't know if y'all remember that it was a big billboard. Yeah, God that's what Shrink was in it, right? Yeah, the God Shrick bless was in the, Yeah, yeah, God yeah, bless. Yeah, I, 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 I put all I put all those players in it, like, and, and and I, and I'm smart enough. I, I respect the game enough to know that I don't need to be in all that stuff because that's not who I am. Like, right. it didn't make sense for me to be in a Nike freestyle commercial. My boy Jimmy wanted me to be Dorian. You could be in it. You, nah, Jimmy, I don't do that. I'm not gonna play myself as as being in that commercial because I'm not gonna do none of that stuff. He had to beg me to be in the, the all cotton club, I didn't want to be in that either. I was like, yo, I'm not a scorer, like, you don't need me. <laughs> he said, like, nah, D, I need you in it. You, you always help me, and we're gonna pay you to be a casting director. But I want you to be in it. That's the only reason I'm in it. Not that I was a you know, a all cotton club and I was scoring buckets. <laughs> But everybody that's in there, I picked them. Now, I could have easily picked all the dudes that I played with. Derek Canada, Junie, uh, Corey Williams, the original Showtime, Doogie, Tony Hargraves, all, Steve Burke. I could have picked all of them. But I'm going to be fair to the game. I'm always mm-hmm. going to be fair to the game and to the culture. And I'm going to put the people that I think are, are mm-hmm. valuable to what they're trying to uh, – Portray in, in these commercials and I don't know if they do commercials like that anymore out here Like I don't know if they pick real basketball players to be in commercials as much as they used to I don't because I because again, I live in LA now So I don't know how that goes, but that's a part of the game that we used to benefit off You know, even though we didn't play in the NBA. We made money in commercials. We made money to be on billboards We made money to be in movies on TV shows because they wanted real authentic streetball players
1: they'll pick a, they'll pick a high school kid now before they pick an adult yeah
2: yeah and and it's not you know again it's not authentic to the, the to the actual story which again you know my 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 tag uh at the still so got it is part of my w- worrying about what new york streetball is now and figuring out you know how can i help bring streetball back to what it used to be having people come back out because the fans don't come out as much as they used to
1: even. Well, I mean, that's a discussion for another time. I think, you know, yeah. obviously it's social media. Kids mm-hmm. are not, you know, not paying attention. It's too way too much stuff going on. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah, it's like, you know, kids are more focused on, you know, now it's making money, it's, it's videos, it's rap. It's, it's mm-hmm. a whole bunch of th- different things. Yeah. Yeah. Like, well, one of the good things right now, though, is you currently, uh, I don't know if you can talk about it or not, but I know you're um, currently in production right now. Trying to um, do something that's gonna hopefully come out in the next year or two. Uh, I got a couple of things. Like, I, I, I want, I want to,
2: I want the street ball. I want to be the official street ball person of New York City when it comes to stories. And the reason being is because to me, I'm a unicorn in this place, in this space. I'm one who lived it as a player, but also know how to produce, Mm -hmm. you know, most of the people that lived it don't know how to produce it. And then most of the people that produce it didn't live it on the level that I lived it. So I want to be able to connect the two, um, on, on, on different platforms, movies, television, whatever the case may be and help everybody not me, everybody eat off of it, because just like your podcast here, you know, it takes the people that were involved with streetball. you know, everybody has different perspectives, you know, depending on what their involvement was, but everybody has a story. We all have stories and yes. I wanna be able to, when I speak to people in LA or somebody comes to me about a street ball idea, yo, I heard there's a tournament in New York in the, by the beach. What is that? Oh, that's Hoops in the Sun. Let me connect you with the Cruz brothers so you can connect with them and do the story because they're the ones. It's their life. This is what they do. Not, oh, okay, let me produce it and I can make it happen for you. No, I'll get a you know, whatever commission or whatever, but let me connect you with the right people that actually do it. Right. And that's what I want to do for everything with street ball.
0: Um, I know we got some questions and some comments in the in the in the chat. So I want to get to those before we wrap it up. So we got Ray Diaz from Nike Pro City. He <laughs> said, <Diaz>. Dorian, <laughs> he said, I don't know if he's still on, but uh he said, Dorian, don't forget to tell them um them who was your first coach, sunglasses, Ray. emoji.
2: Yeah, Ray, <laughs> Ray Diaz was my first. One of my first aau coaches i played with a team that doesn't exist anymore called the sun devils out yes. of harlem I, I used to play our, our home was one twenty third in harlem between uh eighth and and frederick douglas and ray diaz was my bitty coach and he was playing juniors at the time so mm. yeah ray, ray was my bitty coach
0: my now, dad has stories about ray that he was a bad boy and my dad yeah. grew up in the same era with goat and he yeah. went to the same high school which oh, was uh, Benjamin Franklin Benjamin Franklin, and Benjamin Franklin. Right. so my dad you know again this is uh, you know whatever but my dad used to run around you know we'll go good uh, and bad times right 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 and actually was a uh, you know uh, he told me that he was a testament to watching that backboard jump because he was in the back of Ben Franklin right and so Ray, you, was nice. Ray was yeah, nice Ray Diaz was nice Ray Diaz was nice, Ray Ray was Diaz nice. Diaz was nice. Well, who else we got Adrian Walton A. Butter he said we live sunglasses
2: <laughs> A, A, shout
0: out to A Butter. Shout
2: out to A, A Butter. Yeah, shout out to A Butter. He's he's <laughs> he's he's that generation after me that crossed. Like I was thirty something, late thirties, but I by the time I started playing against A Butter, but A A Butter picked up the torch and and when the when Rucker Park was popular to the masses, he yes. he, he, he he took full advantage of that.
0: Absolutely, uh, Ray Rivera. Uh, good show, Joe. Uh, sh- big shout-out to, to, to D. Graham. Hope all is well, brother. Respect to Edgar Rock and Ray Rivera. Peace.
2: Ray-Ray that went to uh, LIU? LIU, yes, sir. Oh, that's my man. That's <laughs> my man. We played together in Dykeman. That was my man, yes. Ray Rivera. What's yeah, good, that,
0: Ray? That's Ray-Ray, man. So we got a lot of throwbacks. Hey, anybody else, Randy? You got um, Coach kborn from uh, 914. <laughs> I guess you heard your story about Larry Jones. He put the... King and the fat part. So, so you love on that comment. Uh, we got a lot of. Oh, we got a lot of people in the chat. Randy, anybody else? Uh, so, um, I, listen, we can go on forever. I just want to tell you, um, you know, Edgar. No, I mean, well, I have one question. Was did you? Can you kind of reminisce? I know Edgar can in terms of that time where Edgar was showcasing Rucker at his prime in terms of Jay Z and Fat Joe situation. Was you? Around that, in terms of a, of a producer, or even as a fan, like how was that whole experience, and did you guys ever cross? I could share. I, can,
1: I can share a story. Yeah, sure. So sure. I um I remember um because Dorian was in L.A. and this is actually before Rucker Park, and when I did uh, Summer Ball, mm-hmm. and um
0: yeah,
1: <clears> I <throat> I talked to Dorian. I was like, uh, I'm trying to get a show on on one of the networks, a live uh, street ball show. And he was like, it might work. <laughs> you know? yeah. I mean, he, was like, he was like, he goes, I want to see who's going to take, I remember him telling me, I want to see who's going to take a chance to put something like that on finally, yeah. because it's <clears throat> all about the, cult, you know, the culture. And then also like, um, and then when I did the blackout, um, I, I took some footage from Dorian's, uh, like 10, 30 seconds of, uh, I think it was, uh, master, master Rob's mm-hmm. his layup. I took that. And, um, you know, we, you know, we talked about it and he was like, yo, you know, he gave me his, he gave me a credit for a great, a good doc. He was like, yo, good doc. And you know, we've always been Dorian like we, he's doing his thing. I'm doing my thing. And we've always kind of said, like, eventually we got to like connect. Cause I have plenty of footage and he has plenty of footage. It only kind of always made sense. Mm-hmm. It's just, we never really connected yet. Um, but it's like the first time we actually like, Face to face for a whole hour talking. <laughs> right, right, right. I, I,
0: I would say that me and Dorian are working on uh, on Hoops in the Sun documentary, so you may want to help me with that.
2: <laughs> hey, where, My brother, where brother got all the help? footage. Yeah, and that's what I and that's again, again, because I'm about helping people. I told you, yo, get your footage together and make it all digital because you're not gonna be able to play them tapes. Make it all digital and then then we can do a lot more with it. You know what? Once that Having, time comes, so you know yes. again, I'm all about helping everybody in of this course. production space because mm-hmm. you know it's it's we all got footage, man. There's so much footage in New York City, man. Like I keep finding more and more footage from different players, people that weren't even players. You know, I found mm-hmm. in in, in uh, you know and in, and not to, to go longer and longer, but I found a guy when I did ask for phenoms who had footage from. The original King Towers, like he's the only one with it. You understand what I'm saying? He's the only yeah. person that has that footage. Now, had I not connected with him and found that footage and put it in Asphalt Phenoms, right. nobody would know that exists. From that, Bobito came and called me and wanted to get and use that footage. So I connected him with the dude. Like, yo, you need to go talk to this dude. It's his footage and handle the business with him. But it's, it's the fact of there are people that have games that they want to be the only ones with it, and it doesn't even make sense. Like, God forbid, if you, if you have tape that nobody else has, right, and you like showing it when your boys come over and hanging out or whatever, and you die, and your family goes through all this stuff, and they see this videotape, and you're not even probably in the game, you know what they're going to do with that? Throw Trash. it away.
1: You know, what, to- you know. You know. It's crazy, though. Um, and obviously, you know this that as a production guy. The problem with, like, you know, like I know Joe says he has. For and we talk to a whole bunch of people in tournaments and stuff like that. When they do their own thing, they sometimes they actually do a disservice for yes. their yes. program. Yes, because it's not. They don't get a. It's not. It becomes not a good documentary or short doc it's right. like why did they put that out there right absolutely associate associate yourself with people who who produce or right. who knows how to make things happen right you right but new york you know how it is in new york some people like you said people want to go solo they want to do their own thing and sometimes it just does doesn't work out most of the time it doesn't work out and and, yeah. and, I,
2: and i've had many conversations with people like yo let me help you greg was one of them like greg as successful that as entertainers became it could have became that seven, eight years earlier if he would have just listened to me and got with me. Like Greg I said, Greg I, yeah, Greg yeah Cook, Greg, $260 million. Greg should have made more, more money off of AM one. You understand what I'm saying? But he, you know, it, what it is is that during yeah. that time period, Greg, Greg, God bless him. He was only happy with getting the money he was getting for the teams every summer like Greg used to have a, a different car every summer early on like he was he was caking out but he could have made so much more and he had no idea until later on when the business became a real business mm-hmm. you know and had again hindsight is twenty twenty, but had he listened to me in two, in 93 he would have he would have made a lot more money and it, the business would have been handled better than how it became later on. Like His relationships with the older players got really bad. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, it, And when the older players stopped coming to the park and stopped playing, those fans, they used to come see us. So if we're not coming, they're not really coming to see the other players as much as they yeah. came to see us. And that's where the fall, the fall off started happening. That's where the fall off started happening be, and then it became a corporate business and they got bleachers all over the place and lines to get in the park. And, you know, it, it became a business. I get it. But you lost the, the, the authenticity that that you used to have. You know, the vendors that used to be outside selling food, selling socks, Kit Capri used to be out there selling tapes. You understand what I'm saying? Kit Capri and Ron G used to be on 8th Avenue selling tapes outside. One hundred fifty fifth Street.
1: You know, but like, I think you said this earlier though, but, uh, which is why I think it can never go back to how it was. I, like you said, I know you, just because it's too much money involved now. Yeah. And it's so much, it's all around it and a lot of these commissioners don't really take, you know, it's more street credit and, hmm. and communities, a uh, community love than money in these guys' pockets. Right. So my thing is like, how do they have to figure it out? My mm-hmm. thing is like a guy like yourself could give them knowledge and all that other stuff, but they gotta, wanna, they gotta want they, to. They gotta want it. They
2: gotta want it. To, exactly. Like, you know, everybody thinks people think when I give them this information that I'm hating when I'm telling them how to go about it. I'm not telling you to do something and make me a partner. I'm telling for what you have, you should probably do this because this is going to help you in the long run. If you want to do something with me, I'm down to do it. Right. But I'm not begging you to go work with you to mm-hmm. do something, you know, that you're gonna feel like I'm trying to steal your shine. I don't mm-hmm. I'm good, dude. I got an Emmy. I've been nominated for two Emmys. You know what I'm saying? I've been producing since ninety-two. <coughs> like I'm good on in this on this space. I know how to do this blindfolded. You don't know how to do this. So if you want to do it that way, go right ahead.
1: Right.
0: So I'm gonna say about um the street ball element, right? Um, potentially we, you know, we are facing a pandemic.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We're, we're going on probably potentially two summers without street basketball or organized street basketball. I hope not. I hope not. I, well, I hope not Edgar feels otherwise, but, and other people feel otherwise, you know, indifferently or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, the question I have for you is, I mean, I've never been a part of street ball in terms of the, of a gap this much, right? Right. Does it, I mean, obviously it hurts the game. And here's the business. Uh, how do you foresee that uh, Thomas, like myself, and across New York City and across the world, how do we, re- what is a way to look at it to, re- to recover and kind of rekindle what we're speaking about tonight?
2: We got we to figure out the, the community uh, aspect. You got to figure out how to get the community back involved and in wanting to come out to the park. Obviously, with the pandemic, it's kind of hard in terms of understanding what it's going to take to have people sit and watch a basketball game in the park yes being outside masked up is safer than being inside masked up you know you know and you no know, vaccine is happening so you know things are going to change gradually I, again personally if, if if they start the tournaments they allow the tournaments to happen this summer i think and and this could be me being me and, and thinking that I, you know as a streetball player if I'm able to do what I wanna do and bring my teams back in these tournaments, it's gonna to generate at least the older players coming back to watch, which now with social media, you start to hear, yo, I just saw GE playing at Rucker Park with, with, with basic instinct and this person and that person, and they beat this younger team. They got a team in this tournament and they got a team in the other tournament. Word of mouth starts spreading social media, People start coming back to the parks, and 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 everybody wins again. Because I want I want New York to thrive in street ball again. Like that's what that's what we were known for. Like I hope that happens. You know I want I want people to come back to hoops in the sun and and be happy to get on a, in the car and come to the beach and watch these older guys play against these younger guys, and and, and recapture your love for being outside in the summer in New York City. All
0: right. Well. Um I hope that's the case. Uh, I know Edgar and I, and the rest of the NYZ community are going to figure out what's going on in the next few months, but, um, we got some plans up our sleeve and we're going to be proactive. I just want to get your insight on, the on the impact and that, that will, that will happen to us in terms of this second year without street basketball and for these kids and for the community. So I uh, thank you for sharing that. Uh, right now I'm gonna put you into the corner. So we're gonna ask you some rapid questions real quick. And then we're going to actually just answer it how you answer it. as Dorian Graham, right? So, shouts to Red Bull. We're going to go into that. All right. Here we go. Thank you, Edgar. Here we go. Uh, your five favorite shootball ball players. If you had to create your own team, who would it be?
2: Daryl Mack, Mr. Excitement, Terminator, Pookie Bolton, Junie, mm. and Conrad McCray. I rest of soul. Yeah,
0: You got one, nigga? I got one, nigga. You got one, nigga?
1: Uh, best game you ever seen?
2: Mm. Best game I've ever seen? Uh, the best game I've ever seen <laughs> I actually saw from a player's perspective is a double overtime game when I played with Fat Joe and we lost to Tony Rosa. Uh, Curry Goat hit a shot from half court to send it into overtime and then a butter hit a three to send it in the double overtime. And then we lost in, in the double overtime. Um, And that was, that, that took a lot out of, that was the day fat Joe. And I don't know if y'all seen the video of him running around on the court with the belt on, with no shirt on. I have that game. Yeah. Yeah. I have that game. I was there
1: shooting that
2: game. Exactly. That, that, that was one of the better games that I've, Mm-hmm. ever seen and and I've been a part of uh,
0: your favorite sports documentaries
2: for you uh, favorite sports documentaries uh, the, the dr. J documentary um, uh, journey of the african-american athlete uh, which was a documentary I actually worked on at HBO sports which covered a hundred years of black athletes in sports in every sport and our our what we contributed to that sport becoming you know popular and famous and the trials and tribulations we had to deal with with being accepted into those sports from horse racing to bicycling to basketball football baseball tennis everything and all the (coughs) black athletes that excelled at those that's that's one of the that's probably my favorite it won a peabody award um and, and, and I'm proud of that uh documentary to the fullest.
1: No doubt. Ego, I got a few more. Uh, my last one would be um your proudest moment um in production. Proudest moment in production actually
2: is was uh creating as for phenoms. Even though I won an Emmy uh with uh at hbo and i've been nominated for two emmys at hbo creating for phenoms is is something that i did for my culture for my people not for me and to 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 for them for the streets and the culture to love it and appreciate it and like it that was one of the, the greatest achievements awards don't you know, even though awards help you make a lot more money I, I don't produce for awards. I, I produce for whatever the, the content is and the approval of the people that live that content
0: uh, Top sneakers you are on off at on and off the court you did. What shoot What was your go-to sneaker? You- uh,
2: on the court. I mean It, it was hard at the time, not to love the uh, Air Force Ones on the court, the mm-hmm. high top, when they had the, the the what's that, the chairman of the board uh, poster with Moses and,
0: and Oh yeah, yeah, Ray Jones yeah, yeah, yeah. and
2: and and Charles Barkley. I, I used to love playing in those. Um, then obviously, once Jordans came out, I loved playing in Jordans because I loved Jordan, but they were actually really comfortable, right. Um, off, oh, off the court now, the, the game changes, you know, obviously. F again, but then I also used to love Lottos where you change the patch to a different color with the, to match what you had on. I love Lottos, and then my go to sneaker that no matter what city I'm in, I'm going to a sneaker store to find them. Yes, are Rod Labors the the Adidas, Adidas, Adidas the, Rod Labors. Yes, the, the white and green. But they got different colors, too. Blue. They got the
0: blue.
2: Yeah. Yeah. But the mesh, all mesh around. And then the the green on the toe and the green on the back. The Rod labels are my go-to. Chill out, fly, casual sneakers.
0: I got two more for you. Top album, rap, R&B for you. uh, All time for you. And your top five film directors.
2: Top. So one rap, one R&B
0: oh, well, uh, uh, what was your go-to rap R and B? If so, what album was it? And and who was, what was your go-to music playing off the court for you?
2: So, so, at, on the court, the it obviously it varies depending on the time period. But there was a song. Mm-hmm. It was actually, uh, Rel featuring Jay Z, uh, mm-hmm. uh, love, love for Free. Yes. Was, that was my go-to joint to get me hyped to go play. I, I like that song too. <laughs> uh, I, I, I love that song. Like we used to get hyped before yeah. our days playing that song. Um no doubt. Um by RB off the court, anything made by Stevie Wonder. Uh nice Stevie Stevie Wonder's just like and I, don't, and I don't think people really think about it. Like the fact that Stevie wrote words. That hit you so hard and he's never seen anything mm. in his life is the most amazing thing to me ever. Respect for sure.
0: And your top five
2: film directors, if you have uh if I gotta go top five, obviously sp- in no particular order but spike. No. Spike for sure. Um uh who, who would I put up there? I I I I'm a fan of Ice Cube. Mm-hmm. Um, Martin Scorsese, um, I'm a fan of Jerry Bruckheimer, um, and then Ava DuVernay. Nice. Well, you're out the corner.
0: I'm glad you made it through this session here. <laughs> uh, Dorian, man, it's been a wonderful time with you tonight. I just want to share one thing with you, nigga. Um, I'm a product of what you guys laid down on as a foundation to street basketball in New York city, even though my father started the tournament, my brother and I are the fabric of who he is and what he was able to, you know, to, to give to us. But, uh, just, just hearing the the rucker stories and you know, I want to give a big shout out to Greg and his family and just, uh, you know, rest in peace because he's one of the, he's one of the people that I, in terms of a blueprint to look forward to, uh, it it was, you know, and again, I won't leave nobody out, but it was like Earl the Gold. It was, Ray Diaz, it was, you know, Greg, it was Kenny Stevens and those guys yeah. really, you know, and Kenny Graham and those guys put down, the, you know, the groundwork for people like myself and my brother to be, even have a, to be in this industry mm-hmm. as, uh, even as Latinos, you feel what I'm saying? So right. uh, I'm not pulling a race card, but I just want to say I'm, I'm proud to be part of this streetball fraternity because it, allo- it has allowed a, me and my brother so many different benefits in, in relationships over the years, like yourself and Edgar to be in so much better situations. If, 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 if I didn't pay attention to what was, you know, on the ground moving forward. So I just want to thank you both of you because, uh, today's story allowed me to see what was, what was going on before my time and why I'm, why I'm still an an agent of ball and why I will continue to advocate for this, for this industry, because it it gave me so much the way that it, it was for you in your day when you was nervous with those cars, and you know, with those cars parked up <laughs> and then now I'm, at, now I'm in charge of a tournament where my crowd is, you know, anywhere from a thousand, it doesn't really matter. Like I, I used to get nervous in those situations. So it's one of, it's wonderful that we, it's a wonderful thing that we do. I believe in that we should do, you know, we should create a commission uh, of commissioners come together yeah. and, and, and then, you know, and, and then people follow. I think that is an opportunity for us to put our egos aside and, be trendsetters and the people who are watching the show or my fellow comrades, like, you know, we're about to be without basketball for two years. So if we have egos, let's put that aside and work together because there's going to be a lot of opportunities to come together, work together to order for us to bring back street and NYC. So I appreciate having this this show for you guys and, and with you guys, excuse me, and just sharing these gems. So I want to commend uh, Edgar and you for the work that you've done in street and what you could do you need to do outside of street for us to have a job in this industry.
2: So thank you both. No, nah, thank you. Obviously Edgar, I appreciate all you've done and, and, and how you've helped, you know, uh, raise awareness and, and bring out, you know, the, again, the Blackout DVD was, was, was great because again, I was in LA when it happened. Um, so I didn't even know about the game. I was, no, I take it back. I was actually in New York for the weekend playing in a playoff game in West 4th Street. When that game was supposed to happen um and then you came out with the documentary and i was like oh this is a dope 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 documentary i don't know if jay gonna let it come out but it is it's a real dope documentary and and i love it like it wasn't supposed to happen
1: at the end Uh, of the day honestly i i i've always said and i tell fat joe when we talk about it like he laughs i'm like i'm happy the game never happened Mm. because It became this folk story. Absolutely. So I was just happy that it never happened. But like, as for me, like you know, um, I've known you since you know the NBA days. We worked together. You know, I've always you know looked at you and I see you hustling and moving to LA and hanging out with the big superstars. And stuff. <laughs> it, you know, makes me proud that you see somebody from New York right. making things happen. And now you're you know you're back here. You know, make still trying to make things happen for yourself, which is mm-hmm. which is dope. Mm-hmm. And um. You know, i'm proud of you like i said we're always here me and you we definitely one day we need to connect got to make yeah. something happen and then sure. um, uh yo man just keep grinding man this is just, that's all we could do right now let's let's keep grinding no, let, let's keep grinding and
2: obviously joe you know the love yeah for that for you guys you and your brother randy like hoops in the sun is is it's 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 crazy because I remember when we first came out there. I was like, "Yo, this shit is hot out here. <laughs> like, it's really hot." But damn, look at the mommies on the beach. Like, yo, I could do this, yep. you know, once a week. Yep. You know what I'm saying? So it, it it you guys are doing it and and yep. and, for, and forget about race. Like, you know, it, I tell people out out here in LA all the time. Puerto Ricans and Dominicans like black people in New York. We all the same. I mean, I that's, what I, that's, that's what I'm saying. But, you know, you know. You know, I don't know the rest of the country, but in New York, we all the same. Like I hear you. I hear you. They get mad. They was, uh, a friend of mine used to get mad. Like, how y'all let uh, Puerto Ricans, Dominicans say the word nigga? I was like, because they niggas too. What are you talking about? <laughs> what are you talking about? They grew up with us in the hood. Right. Like, they, we all the same. I don't know about every yeah. else. But in New York, we all the same. And it's all love.
1: Hey, oh, and listen. By the way, yes, a legend is a legend. not
2: self-proclaimed. Let's make Who oh, sure no. we understand. You are,
1: also, I forgot. I uh, I want to give a shout out to Al Cash because I know you've yes. been talking about. Yes, and Duke, Al. and Duke. Yeah, and uh, and Duke. Yeah, they've been doing their thing out there, and you know, Al Al has a great story. Um, and you guys need to uh, tune into his pop his uh Instagram live. It's usually every day, Monday through Friday. Now, yes. excuse me
2: it's Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Actually,
1: okay, Thursday, seven right. o'clock. You know, we, we had
2: uh, who we had a uh, Joe Pope and A Butter today. We had a I,
0: yeah, that was dope. I tuned into that. That was good. And I and I was on it and I was I actually yeah. watched Egg on it. it so was, right,
1: exactly. You both yeah, were, fat, Joe. Right. yeah fat Joe, you know right, exactly a lot of guys who who gone through that park. Jim Jones. Yeah. Yeah. Right, yeah.
2: Right. So I, I'm trying to help them. You know, because I don't think they've gotten the credit that they deserve. So I'm trying to help them get on platforms where they can get more notoriety and and they could benefit off of, you know, what they what they mastered, you know, giving out nicknames, you know, and that we we at 40 or 50 years old still go by these nicknames, whether it's our handles on social media or how we see each other and call each other by these nicknames. So they they deserve flowers and I want to try to get them money and I'm trying to help them.
0: Well, they're doing a great job, man. So, shout out to, to, out to Cash and Duke and, you know, and Tango and um, them. I mean, I had a great time. I was able to be in the show to kind of live life through, you know, what he was telling me and just kind of share stories about Greg and just be a part mm-hmm. of that. Was um, And I guess he got an opportunity to get to know who I was and what right. I did and, and how right. I did it. And, you know, my dad is such a legend, so it's big shoes right. to fill. But yeah. I think he got an opportunity got to understand how we did it, my our story you know, the whole Venice Beach connection and right. you mentioned that earlier, how right. that kind of, that lineage. So he was kind of, you know, amazed and I was kind of amazed to learn? be on it. Just, just, just learn about the culture, right? And you could be around 20 years and not meet the people that really started the culture. So for us to be around here to do that, you know, I, I count my blessings every time just to be considered, you know, amongst this fraternity. So sharing time with you is a blessing, man. So I just want to thank you for sharing some time with us tonight.
2: No, I, I appreciate it. And again, anytime you want me to do anything, you know, you can do is call me, and, and 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 I'll make it happen. I'll figure out a way to do whatever it is you need help with, or, or whatever the case may be. Because again, you're part of the culture, so you know the, the culture. That. That's that's why I called out like, "Yo, we're going to interview Joe Cruz." And his brother, if he wants to do it on the show, because they're part of the culture. You've never been the hoops in the beach, but again, as a New York city street (laughs) basketball player, I know who's part of the culture and they're part of the culture. No doubt.
0: Hey, what you got to say now? Like <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: it's Hoops the same the
0: thing. It's the same Hoops thing. In the sun. Listen, in that's the sun. why we created an acronym. That's why we say hits. Just <laughs> to keep it safe and safe. <laughs> right.
2: Hoops in the sun. Hoops in the sun. Well, well, <laughs> well
0: listen, everybody, Um, uh, before I let Dorian, uh, Dorian, uh, Dorian go, I just want to say thank you, Dorian, for a wonderful evening. Thank you for sharing time with me and that good man. God bless you. Anything you got going on or things that you need from us, we're only
2: one call away. All right? Definitely, I appreciate you guys. Hang yeah, for a second
1: after
0: this. All right, stay, stay. So, um, just want to uh, thank everybody for tuning in to the Commissioner Corner podcast here on the Cruise Control Podcast Network. Which uh, we had our wonderful guest Dorian Graham. I was joined by my co-host Edgar Burgos. Uh, you can follow Edgar Burgos at eberg one You can follow Dorian Graham at They Still Got It on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, on that note, everybody, thank you for tuning in. Have a blessed
1: night, and we'll see you next week.
0: Alá.